At photographycourse.net, you'll be able to swap your expertise with other photographers, make light instead of wishing for it, expand your portfolio, and receive feedback from professionals, all of which will develop your artistic eye. Photographycourse.net offers an abundance of premium courses and challenges for participants at every stage of their journey, from technical settings for portrait photography, to landscape composition tricks, to how to start your own photography business, we have everything you need to start shooting confidently. You can work at a pace that suits you. Our 52-week project challenge will provide you with the educational resources, encouragement, and support that you need to take great photographs every week. You can join us at any time as our themes are evergreen. You can also start by shooting every day and learning something new with our 365 Days of Photography course. Led by an industry expert who has mentored over 10,000 students, this course will help you take your photography skills to the next level with daily, bite-sized videos. Throughout the process of learning, you'll have access to a community that will provide you with inspiration and motivation. Get encouragement from other photographers every single day. Our current limited time offer comes with a special discount code exclusive to the listeners of this podcast. Get 50% off your first year as a premium member. Claim this discount by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST. Come join photographycourse.net and capture more than just a moment. Hello everyone, my name is Taya and I'm the host of Great Big Photography World Podcast, where we interview notable photographers in the industry, give advice on a wide variety of topics, and provide tips for beginners and professionals alike. In this episode, I speak with humanitarian photographer David Dushiman. David used to work as a comedian for over a decade, and now he is an incredibly talented photographer who is building his own community on his own terms. We talk about the process of leaving social media and being present on other platforms, what it was like for him to work as a comedian and then become a photographer, how he connects with his models, and much more. Please enjoy. Hi, David. Welcome to Great Big Photography World Podcast. I'm very happy to have you here. Please introduce yourself to the listeners. Thanks, Ty. It's so good to be here. Uh, yeah, my name is David Dushiman. I am, uh, well, <laughs> problematically, I have a hard time describing myself these days. I was formerly known as a humanitarian photographer, primarily, but uh, much of that has changed, especially over the last couple of years with people not uh, being uh, as close to each other as they once were, travel being cut off. And uh, and now I, I'm spending a lot of time focusing my camera on uh, on conservation, focusing on on wilderness and, and the idea of wildness. Um, I'm an author. I've written a number of books about the art and craft of photography, and I have a I have a particular passion for keeping the humanity in the what is otherwise a very technical craft. I like to focus on the creative and the human and the experience of making and looking at photographs. That's a great introduction. It's very clear in your work that you prioritize those things that you just mentioned. I've read a bunch of posts on your blog and you have a very thoughtful approach to photography and to anything that you pursue essentially, which I appreciate. And I think it's something that especially beginner photographers can learn from because we dive into photography and we think we need to master just the technical side of things maybe. And we forget that there's a whole other world that we can embrace that will help us improve our photography significantly. And that's something you're incredibly good at. 
Thank you. It's I, I think it's important that we I mean, we all, of course, we have to begin with the technical stuff because it's the biggest initial way uh, barrier to entry, you know, is, is understanding how this stuff works. But I, it's also becoming increasingly uh, the learning curve is becoming increasingly easy in the sense that the cameras compared to what I started with, with film and everything being manual. The technical stuff is now becoming uh, so much easier to get over rather than spending, you know, a lifetime learning and developing your, of course, you can choose to develop your prints in the darkroom. Fewer people are doing it, but we can get more quickly now, I think, to this, to the really expressive stuff. And that's when I think the conversations need to turn from the technical to the experiential. Absolutely. I agree with you. But you, we, I think it is still interesting for the listeners to know what equipment you use. So if you are willing, would you be open to talking about your camera equipment? Yeah, I, I'm very willing. I, <laughs> I for years have been um, have been fairly known by <laughs> at one point in one of my books, I wrote gear is good, but vision is better. And that's kind of been my mantra. And it's been to some degree, I think, the mantra of those that follow what I write and, and my photography. Um, but the gear is good. I, I get uh, very excited by by new gear. Uh, it's just not the only thing. A, a good friend of mine says, you know, the gear is important, but it's insufficient. And uh, but it is important. I recently switched. I was uh, for years. Uh, I was a Fujifilm shooter, although I have always also used Nikon and Canon and, you know, whatever. I used Nikon underwater for years. Uh, but last year switched entirely to Sony after <laughs> years of kind of griping about the ergonomics of Sony, which I still don't particularly like. Um, I just realized that if I was going to be photographing the kind of things I'm photographing now, which is more wildlife, that I need a system that can keep up with that. And so I now shoot with two Sony A1 bodies and a variety of lenses from uh, 14 millimeters to uh, 600 millimeters. That's great equipment. And it's nice that you have such a variety as well. As you mentioned earlier, you have Nikon for underwater shots, underwater photography, and then different lenses for different landscapes. It's it's a lot of uh, different stuff to work with. I'm sure that inspires you as well. It does. Uh, you know, I look at these things as uh, creative possibilities. Um, the gear for me is all about possibilities. If you have a camera that, for example, has lower light sensitivity, then that allows you to shoot later into, you know, into the day or shoot into the shadows a little more. If you have a camera that has a, a larger sensor, it allows you to crop in a little without losing so much, you know, uh, so much of the image. As it, all of these things can be really important creative tools. They're about possibilities. So that's where I get excited about the gear is when, for example, you know, my, my new Sony stuff can focus it can it can lock onto the eye of an animal and maintain that focus and track in a way. I followed a, a cheetah in Kenya in January just to see if I could do it. And the cheetah was running away from me chasing. So it was, you know, the fastest land animal running away from me. And that camera maintained the focus. Now it was it was focus on, you know, the backside of a cheetah. It wasn't a, a, a <laughs> photograph I was gonna keep, but it was amazing that this set of particular set of gear um, could do what my previous gear could never have done. And so that represents the possibility of accomplishing something photographically that I never could. So that's where I kind of get excited about the gear. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's incredible how much technology has advanced, especially camera technology. In the last few years, I mean, every year there's something new and there's all these new features. And yeah, it's very natural to get excited about these things for sure. You talk about equipment, as you said, uh, you, you've mentioned it a few times in, on your blog, and I enjoyed reading a few other posts on it. There was one in particular that stood out to me that's titled, It's All Been Done. And in that post, you say that voice is not found when we try to be unlike others, but when we get closer and closer to being most, most like ourselves. What mm -hmm. advice do you give to photographers who want to achieve this? <laughs> well, first of all, I think we need to accept that it, it is not uh, uh, as simple as I make it sound. It's finding your own voice. And actually, I, I, on a maybe on a deeper level, I think voice is it's not found so much as it's chosen. I think photographers need to make choices. And many photographers, especially when you look at beginner photographers and you go to their websites, they're, what you see on the website is more like a, um, it's more like a, a greatest hits compilation of here's a bunch of random photographs that, that I think, you know, accomplish a certain thing. Uh, there is a point in our photography, I think, where we master to some degree the gear and the tools and and we begin to get more interested in ideas and photograph uh, bodies of work rather than one-off photographs that happen to uh, you know that happen to make the grade technically and i think it's when you begin to make decision because of course voice is about what you say and how you say it and you need to make choices about what kind of things are you going to be talking about photographically? What kind of things are you going to be exploring with your camera? Whether you're, uh, you know, as a travel photographer, whether you're interested in other cultures as I am, other species when it comes to wildlife. Um, and then making some very specific visual choices. And I think that comes down to taste. I think if we can uh, get comfortable with inventorying our tastes and preferences and saying, you know what, this is what I most like in a photograph. This is the kind of color use that I most like. This is the kind of uh, experience that I most want to have in my photographs. If you look at a lot of my photographs, uh, personally, I try very hard to uh, have a sense of depth in them. I want them to be very inclusive and immersive so that you are not uh, feeling that you are looking at a scene, but feeling that you are within a scene and um, and have that sort of sense of peripheral vision. And so I use wide angle lenses pushed up very close to my uh, subject matter and uh, with the hope that it will create a visual experience for the person looking at the image that comes out of personal preference and taste. Uh, there are some colors. If you look at my wildlife work, you will not see a, a lot of uh, bright saturated greens. I don't love bright saturated greens. So where there are greens, I will pull the saturation down a little bit. I will often lighten or darken so that that, that green, which can be very visually massive and isn't to my preference or taste, um, is a little bit more subdued. And so these are matters of taste. And at a certain point, I think photographers need to begin making choices and saying, this is how what I'm going to photograph, uh, and this is how I'm going to photograph it, and and allow those creative constraints to give you a little bit of creative freedom 
Because once you know what you're not about, you can really pursue what you're about. So creating bodies of work, for example, around one subject, rather than just being satisfied with the occasional shot that meets your creative or technical standards, that pushes you to go deeper. It forces you to consider, okay, what am I missing here? What holes are in my work that I could fill? What, um, you know, graphically, how could I express this in different ways? It creates new challenges for us creatively. And I think that's in there is where we make decisions um, and it stops being so unintentional, accidental or ad hoc. And that's where our voice begins to become more distinct. And I, you see it very clearly in uh, cinematographers. You know, you, I always go to the example of Wes Anderson, who did movies like Moonrise Kingdom and The Grand Budapest Hotel and The Life Aquatic, um, among many. His choices in composition, his use of lens, the way his camera moves, the way he uses color, all of these cinema, his cinematic choices that he makes are very different. You would never mistake a Wes Anderson movie for um, someone like Quentin Tarantino who did Pulp Fiction. Very different visual style. They have distinct visual choices, uh, sorry, voices based on what they've chosen to use and not use. And I think that comes with uh, a certain level of confidence, you know, to say this is these are the choices I'm going to make and these are the things I'm going to focus on rather than being so all over the map. And I think if you go to the website of an, a very experienced photographer, someone who's been at it for a long time, uh, and then you go to someone who's a website of someone who's maybe not been doing it for quite as, as long, the, the, the difference will be one, I think will have a very distinct finger, digi, uh, visual fingerprint. You will recognize the work of Annie Leibovitz without ever seeing a photo credit. Um, and there are a, a million other photographers, you know, Henri Cartier-Bresson and Ansel Adams and Joseph Karsh. And you kind of pick your, your favorite photographer. You would recognize their work simply by seeing it because they have that They've made a certain uh, series of choices, whereas a younger photographer still learning the craft doesn't yet have that. So it's a uh, this is a very long answer <laughs> to get to, to the point. There, there is a stage in life as a photographer, I think, where voice becomes more important. At the beginning, you're trying everything. You know, you've, you've got to try all the cameras, all the lenses. You've got to learn your craft. But if if voice becomes important to you, then, then you start having to make decisions. That's a wonderful answer. And there's a lot of wisdom in it. And by the way, Wes Anderson is one of my favorite directors. <laughs> right, mine too. I love him. The Grand Budapest Hotel, my favorite movie. Just amazing. Fantastic. Well, Fantastic. It's a great study in voice. Absolutely. Yes, I agree. And I think you, you mentioned just early right now that it requires confidence to make those bold choices sometimes that maybe go against what other people are doing or aren't trendy. So I think especially for people who are just starting to discover their own voices, it's a very scary thing to be able to say to yourself, like, I need to do this. This feels right to me. It's not trendy at the moment. It's not maybe that obvious on social media, but I feel like it really complements my style, but I'm scared, you know, those anxious thoughts. Totally. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, to, to your point, uh, 
I think this is where, and, and you and I could have a conversation all day about social media, so I'll keep my rant short, but I think we need to be very careful about social media. I haven't been on social for two years now uh, for my own reasons, but I think even for those that still feel it's important to them, you need to be very careful about social media because it is very easy to, if you want to get the likes, the algorithm, excuse me, the algorithm is going to uh, it's going to reward you for homogeny and uh, stepping away from individualism more than it will uh, for having a distinct voice. Now, you may luck out and just be one of those few that where, you know, you ex- what you do exactly overlaps with other people's tastes and you just become the social media darling. But for the most part, I worry that Instagram especially is a place where more comparison happens and comparison is just the it's just the the enemy of creativity and we need to be very careful that social media tools however you use them don't discourage you from individuality because that's where you'll find your voice is being exactly who you are and you know you got to have the confidence to try something on and go no this isn't for me and and more importantly this these other things are me and i'm going to do them until you know, until I lose interest or whatever, but not because of how many likes I get. Yeah, there's a fine line between feeling like you have lost interest in something and just being discouraged by a lack of likes or attention from others online. It's mm-hmm. there's, I mean, I've definitely struggled with that in the past. You get discouraged when you share something that you really like and you compare yourself to other people. It's a really bad rabbit hole to fall into. And let's talk a little, a little bit about social media. You said that you stopped using it two years ago. And I think that was a very bold decision. Again, something that you did for yourself that felt right to you. How did it affect your business and your photography? Uh, well, it, it, only in positive ways. Um, it, first of all, it was not an easy decision. I wrestled with it for probably an, an, another two years leading up to my decision where I finally just pulled the pin. Um, how has it affected? First of all, it's I don't compare myself anymore. It's I'm not discouraged by going on to other people's feeds and looking at their amazing work and they're bragging about awards and then looking at mine and going, well, gosh, why isn't mine like that? Well, mine's not like that because I'm not them. And you, what you see in social is only a visible metric that hides an, an incredible uh, variety of invisible struggles and challenges and you know there's so much we don't see but yet we still compare all of what we feel with only this thin visible layer on someone else's feed and i think social can be very discouraging it can set you running in a million different directions like oh maybe this is what i need to be trying and maybe this or how about i and there's a positive side of that because it encourages you to learn and and that's good uh but on balance, it was unhealthy for me. And I was tracking my time and realizing I could gain in little sort of little bits and pieces over a a day, I could gain two hours by not being on social. And so I just thought, you know, I'll commit to to being off social for a year. I didn't say that to anyone. I just said, I'm I'm done. But I thought, you know, if, if I need to, I'll come back. And 
everything that I gained so vastly offset any losses. Um, so it hasn't affected my business in a negative way. People are still, the, here's the beautiful thing about social. Um, people can still talk about you on social, even if you're not there yourself, they can still talk about your work. They can read, you know, read, they can tweet your quotes. They, you know, they, they can engage and you are still being talked about on social, even if you're not there, probably much less, but social, I didn't find was, it was a lot of empty promises. And so it didn't hurt me at all. In fact, it allowed me to uh, focus my engagement in other places. So I, I gave, I'm giving more attention to my email and more personal connection. People can still reach out. So people can still comment on my blog, which has good engagement. I, I talked to I hate to use the word fans and followers, but I talk to people that want to engage with me every day. I just do it in a different medium. And when you're in social, I think you feel like this is this is the world. Like if I left social, I would leave the world. And it turns out, no, no, the world's still there. <laughs> We're all still going on, you know, without social, just perfectly happily. So yeah, I think everyone needs to weigh the pros and cons. You know, do you have the time? Is it affecting your creativity? What's it doing to your your uh, sense of individuality and does it encourage you to compare yourself with others and and on top of that you know do you want to everything that you create and put on Facebook and this is a bigger conversation but you know Facebook Insta it's all owned by Mark Zuckerberg and and you know do you want to be part of that kind of information economy like you're all you're really doing is providing fodder for people to get more and more addicted and have their data collected. And I, I just started having this kind of funky feel like taste in my mouth about the whole social thing. It just doesn't feel, you know, if I'm going to be a person who talks about the the human side of photography, I kind of felt like social was a little antithetical to that, that it was um, a step in the wrong direction for what I'm all about. So I, if, for, if anyone's listening and they're curious you know, <laughs> about getting off social, I can assure you there's a wonderful, vibrant world out here without it. And I haven't, I haven't missed it at all. That's wonderful. It's great to hear to, to connect with somebody who has a passion for photography, who still maintains a community, but in his own way, you know, I appreciate that about you because as you said earlier, sometimes we feel like social media, Instagram, that's the world. And if you leave that world, you lose all your connections, but that's not true. As you said, you, or in touch with people every day, just in your own ways that feel right to you. And you have control and you don't need to worry about data being stolen or, or hacked into or anything of any of that stuff that leaves a, a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, let's be honest, Social's not, it's, it, it's kind of new, relatively speaking. It's only been around for, you know, what, 15 years or something in a significant way. Uh, people ran businesses before, you know, uh, 20 years ago, 30, 100 years ago, we were all running businesses and <laughs> connecting with human beings and all the stuff on which social is based, relationships and community, uh, engagement. We were all doing it. We're just doing it in different ways. And it maybe it took a little bit more work, a little more time, a little more money. But uh, the results, I think, are also more profound. They're deeper. They're maybe less scalable. But um I think anyone with an email account and the ability to to make a blog can get off social and still have impact if that's what you're looking for. I think that's what people are worried they're going to lose is impact. And uh, I can assure you there's uh, I, I can have as much or as little impact as I want 
with other tools online. That's right. Yeah. I think the main concern for, let's say, a beginner or somebody who didn't initially have a large following on social media, when they leave social media, they worry about website traffic. Like, if, like let's say they made a blog, how are they going to get people to, to visit that blog? Uh, and I guess that's when where SEO comes into the picture, right? <laughs> yeah, I maybe. I, I actually think that no matter what the medium you are going to, if you create something that others want to share, they will do that. And they will do it on all kinds of media, whether you're involved or not. Um, I, so I think that's the should be the focus is creating something that is of value to other people, focusing on your photography and doing good work. If you're also a writer or a videographer or whatever other creative expression is part of your life, uh, doing that, it, it eventually will get shared. But um, you have to remember, too, you can't compare something like a blog with social because a blog is very kind of upfront. You know what kind of traffic you're getting. You know what kind of engagement. It's all pretty honest. Social there is just, there's a huge smokescreen. The metrics are so skewed. People think their work is being seen by more people than it is. There's this hope that, oh, this is where I'm going to get discovered. I just don't think it happens. I think if you look at organic reach, it is going down and down and down for all uh, social platforms. Uh, the advertising is going up and up and up, which is why social exists to begin with, right? You put something on there so that others will see it so that Mark Zuckerberg, you know, can get a dollar for a, for an ad view, um, which is a pretty, you know, that's, that's a very cynical way of looking at it. And I know that, but, um, but ultimately you have to separate what you believe social does for you as a benefit and uh, see like, what does it really actually benefiting you? Is it really doing what you think it is? Because for most, it's not. For most, it's just this hamster wheel that they're they're stuck on. And it, though blogs do not promise the world the way social does, you know, no, you're not going to become an influencer with a blog anymore uh, in the same way you could um, in the past. But the audience you do gain will be yours. If suddenly Instagram goes belly up, where are your followers going to be now? Um, you know, Google, uh, what, what do they call it? Google, um, God, I can't even remember anymore, but Google had a big platform for photographers and people had millions of followers. Well, where, where are those followers now? The, the whole platform's gone. Um, but my blog is my space. I control it. That audience is mine. I can be in touch with them anytime I want. Um, Anyway, it's a whole other conversation, I, but I do think the social promises more than it delivers. And I think especially for those who are at the very beginning, the best advice I can give you is find other outlets to, to show your work as well. If you still want to be on social, great, go for it, but find other places to show your work. Good work will be recognized. Submit your work to you know photographic magazines for consideration. Submit it to significant photo awards, if that's important to you. Um, not necessarily because winning will mean anything, you know, but it will expose your work to other people. You've just, you got to do it the old fashioned way. If you're still on social, do it the old fashioned way as well as being on social, but you've got to get it out there on other platforms. Um, because the, the world actually word of mouth is still predominantly not on social. Most word of mouth is still actual human beings talking to each other.
Fantastic advice. You're completely right. Most of the opportunities that I've gotten as a photographer have come from personal connections in the community. It's never, it's very, very rarely has been a result of me just posting something on social media and getting exposure for it. Usually it's like a friend of a friend or just someone saying, hey, I've got this thing for you. Are you interested? And they directly message me on a non-social media platform or somebody recommends me. As you said, word of mouth, very, very powerful. Yeah, everyone in the marketing world agrees that word of mouth is uh, the most important marketing tool. And yet when it comes to actually putting, uh, you know, where we put our time and our money, uh, it gets the last of our attention. And I, I think there are other ways of other ways of being in the world as a photographer. And yes, it's it's not easy. It's always going to be hard, especially as the noise increases. Um, it's just very, a very noisy place for photographers right now. Yeah. Uh, so it's always going to be challenging, but I would say put your efforts into creating better work. Put your cre- efforts into creating, uh, let me rephrase that, not better work, work that is distinctly your own. This really double down on finding your voice, uh, expressing yourself in unique ways, and just pursuing the stuff that you're really truly interested in and have an opinion about. And, and let that be enough and then get it out into the world. And, and while that's, you know, the work is doing its own thing, keep creating, create and share and repeat. And eventually something, you know, something will happen. It's just a question of creating good, interesting work. Because at the end of the day, a really good social presence with mediocre work is, it's, it's worth nothing. You're completely right. It's clear that you're a man of many interests and many perspectives on life. Uh, And I truly believe personally that the more interests we have, or even if we have just a few, they all affect one another in some way. And you used to be a stand-up comedian for 12 years. How has your background in comedy affected your career as a photographer? (laughs) That's an interesting question. I'm sure people are listening going, this guy was a comedian? He's not funny at all. Um, yeah, well, that's what, that's why I'm no longer a comedian. Um, I, uh, I think the thing that I took away from comedy was a sense of, so I talked earlier about, you know, my interest in the, the human side of photography and the experience. When I started comedy, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I was very accidental. I stumbled upon routines and thoughts and ideas that people found funny, but it was really only when I sat down and went, okay, what makes people laugh? What, what am I really about here as a comedian? And, and what makes people laugh? And I unpacked it. I got very intentional about it. I unpacked it. And it's the, that same thing has happened in my photography when, cause I've been a photographer since I was 14 years old, but it was only when I sat down and went, okay, so what makes people interested in a photograph? What are people actually responding to? What is the human experience here? And how can I make that stronger? How can I, you know, if people are responding to a certain thing and it's not the, the, the lens you use, that's not what they're responding to. They might be responding to the effect of the lens you use and how you used it uh, or to color or, you know, any number of things to which human beings respond in a photograph. But it's only if you understand what those are that you can start hitting those notes more intentionally and creating photographs to which people will respond. Uh, so it's not paint by numbers by any means, but 
it's it's a, just a recognition of what actually works, like being able to put words to it. And uh, if you can put words to it, you can think about it in clearer ways. I think that and just the focus. I mean, comedy is about people. It was I did a com. I didn't do pure stand up. I did a mix of stand up and juggling and magic and um, and it's very easy for a variety artist, which is what you would call someone who does comedy that includes juggling and magic and that sort of thing. Um, it's very easy to just to rely on the gimmick of, you know, the magic trick, but people don't respond to magic tricks. It's, it's the, it's the surprise and the wonder and the mystery that they're responding to when, when they laugh, is it, is it because, you know, um, you strung your words together in a certain order or is it because there's something else going on there? Um, you know, the surprise, the zigzag of a comedy routine. When you can understand, and this would be my big advice to younger photographers, the sooner you can stop studying your cameras and start studying actual photographs and what makes them do what they do in terms of our experience of them, the sooner you will become a stronger, more intentional photographer. Our, it's like to, to create an analogy, it's like people that collect guitars. Uh, there are some people that collect guitars and then there are people that make music with them. And, um, you can study guitars an entire lifetime and never actually really understand what it means to be on a stage in front of a thousand people and make them feel something. Those are two very different things. And so it is with photographers. I think the, the sooner we can get beyond the camera and start thinking about the actual thing that we're making, which is photographs and the experience of them, the stronger that work can be. That's a great analogy, and I didn't expect that answer. I thought you would say that you just make everyone laugh around you during photo shoots. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no, I'm actually not. Uh, I, I, I hit a point in my life where I just realized that my that <laughs> that me being funny was. I preferred it being kind of accidental, and I preferred being behind the camera rather than in front of it. Uh, so I'm, I'm not particularly. Uh, yeah, no, I. I don't make people laugh anymore. I, I mean, that's not entirely true. It's just that when you spend 12 years making people laugh, you start, I started hungering for a different response for something a little bit more significant and a little bit more meaningful. So, you know, comedy can be, you know, people like George Carlin, he had a lot of substance to what he said in his comedy routines. That was not me. I, you know, I told fart jokes to eight year olds. So it's, uh, you know, <laughs> Yeah, no, I completely understand that. So when you decided to quit comedy, did you immediately think about photography and getting into photography? Or was there a transition in between where you felt a little bit lost? No, I actually abandoned comedy for a return to comedy uh, to uh, photography. I, so I went, it, it's a, I'll keep this very short, but I, I was asked by an organization who knew me as a comedian and I did family shows, children's stuff, um, you know, multi-generational shows for large audiences. And uh, so I didn't do blue humor. I didn't do, you know, the, the language and I was just a clean comedian. Uh, and this one organization who worked in Haiti and worked with children said, could you come and see what we do? in Haiti and um, because what they anticipated was I would be wowed by their work and go back and get on stage and uh, kind of, you know, pitch the organization to my audiences and fundraise and that kind of thing. 
photographycourse.net is a place where you can find an abundance of photography inspiration in different forms like premium courses, articles, video tutorials, editing resources, and much more. We have a thriving community where you can meet new people, receive constructive criticism, and discover new ideas every single day. Here is a message from one of our top community members, Robert Morton. Hi, my name is Rob. I specialize in wildlife photography and landscape photography. I'm a member of photographycourse.net online community. I like the community because you get some fantastic ideas and some great feedback. So take your photography to the next level by clicking the link in the description. That's what I did and I haven't looked back. If you want to join our online community, go to photographycourse.net and enter the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% off your first year as a premium member. And the problem is I went down there. They asked me just before I went, they found out I was also a photographer and they said, could you photograph for us while you're there? And I said, sure. And they extended my trip and I did a little bit more photography. And the problem is from the moment I got there, I'd been a photographer for many years and suddenly realized when I picked up my camera to photograph their projects, this is why I'm a photographer. This is what I've been learning these tools for. And I went home and I was like, I'm done with comedy. I'm going to be a humanitarian photographer. And uh, most of my uh, friends and family said, well, what's a fan? what's a humanitarian photographer? I said, I don't know, but I'm going to figure it out. And they said, well, can you make a living at that? I said, I don't know, but I'm going to figure it out. Like this is, I felt very strongly that I was returning to a craft that I'd practiced since I was 14, that I loved, uh, that I was going to be a humanitarian photographer, at least for that next part of my career, and that I was going to teach because I've always loved teaching. And, and I think that anything you learn can be turned around and taught to others. Um, and I figured I had a pretty steep learning curve ahead of me. So um, I quit. I got off the stage for the last time and went to Ethiopia and started a career in humanitarian photography. Wow, what an incredible discovery. It must have felt very, I, don't, I can't even pick out a word to describe the feeling, just very, uh, you had photography beforehand, yet you loved it. And then all of a sudden you realize this is what I want completely. And you understood yeah. all the puzzle pieces fit. Yeah, it, exactly. It was it was this realization that I'd been learning to use a medium that could could be used for storytelling, uh, but I didn't have I didn't know what stories I wanted to tell, and all of a sudden I did, and uh, yeah, it was very thrilling. The other the other word was scary, <laughs> but um, I had I just had this very clear sense. Maybe I was just a little too idealistic to think that I could fail. I just thought, you know what, I've done the comedy. I I've, there is a uh, there's sort of a comfort. And if you had a really solid, like job, job, a career, you know, where you had an employer and a regular paycheck, you, you would probably feel a lot more intimidated by the uh, switch than I did because I didn't have a job. I, I, I mean, I had a, a business as a comedian, I, but Hey, if you can sell juggling to the world, you can probably you know, make your way in photography as well. I mean, if people complain about how hard it is to be a professional photographer, try juggling. I mean, you know, juggling, nobody needs a juggler. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, it's good to have an idealistic point of view, though, like an idealistic approach. Um, 
no matter what kind of background you have, as long as you love photography, then you will most likely find a way. Uh, I think if you start your journey with all these doubts, self-doubt especially, you're just going to feel like you've already failed. Yeah, that, that's definitely the attitude is important. I think it's also important to realize that just because you love photography doesn't mean you uh, doesn't mean you're necessarily going to love running a photography business because they're two different things. One is the job of the photographer as a, a maker of photographs, and the other is uh, marketing, professional communications, you know, building websites, uh, accounting. I mean, you become a business owner and that's very different than making photographs they're two different skill sets and so you've got to hone your craft as aggressively in the one area as you do in the other you've it's it's got to be you cannot rely only on um a great attitude and i make good photographs because you know what uh, the rest of the world also makes good photographs there's a certain point at which you need to distinguish yourself and part of that, you may actually be more popular with clients, not because of the photographs you make, but because you're just really good at articulating your value to them and um, your the fact that you understand them and can make them what they need and want in terms of visual assets or whatever kind of, you know, whatever role you fill in the industry. It's not a it's not an easy task. And it's, photographers find it very humbling when they realize just showing up with a great camera and the ability to use it is it is not sufficient as a as a business person um so yeah you you do need the idealism you need because it's going to have to provide the energy to get through some tough days but more than that more than your skill with, as a photographer you need to learn the craft of running a business our 365 days of photography course is an amazing opportunity for you to grow as a photographer my teammate, Kevin LJ, has produced this course in a step-by-step -step format, which is very easy to follow. The course is presented in bite-sized lessons, each with a practical challenge. You'll learn and practice a new aspect of photography every single day. Each lesson is around five minutes long, and you can spend as much time on the challenges as you like. There's also a friendly forum where you can share the photos you take and get constructive feedback from others in the course. Kevin's professional photography experience is extensive. He covers not only photography essentials, but also many genres of photography throughout the course. You will learn far more about photography than simply how to use your camera. For our listeners, we're offering a very special discounted price of $199. The final price will soon be $365, so make sure to take advantage of this great deal today. That's right. Yeah, you made me think of uh, a friend who runs a photography business, and she does it wonderfully. She has a great body of work, but she takes the same kinds of pictures in the same locations, given the nature of what she specializes in. And even though her pictures are beautiful, it's always like repetitive work, taking photos in the same locations over and over again, families, couples, whatever. Uh, but the what really makes her business stand out of notice is her attitude. So the way that she talks to clients, the way that she mm -hmm. encourages them to come back to her and take more photographs with her. So that has really stood out um, to me. Yeah at her business and you're completely right it's it's you have to have a uh, an intuition for business i think as a photographer as well to really thrive yeah certainly if if you want if what you want from your photography is to not only be a craft but to be commerce then certainly i think it's also really important and i need to say this to everyone that's listening that has no intention of ever being a quote-unquote professional 
um, you are as real a photographer as the so-called professionals. And I, I get so frustrated and heartbroken by talking to photographers and I say, oh, are you a photographer? And they're like, yeah, I'm not a real photographer. And what they mean by that is, you know, they're not making money at it. And yet no athlete, no Olympian would say, well, you know, because I'm not a professional athlete, I'm not. I'm not a real athlete. You know, there they are at the Olympics, by definition, not professional athletes. And yet <laughs> they're at the Olympics, you know, and I think if you just love making photographs, don't worry about whether you're professional or not. These days, the line is so blurry between what constitutes a professional photographer and um, what, frankly, what constitutes a photographer that has a voice, that has something to say, how you make your money is irrelevant. That's right. I think what matters most, at least to me, is how I feel when I take pictures. If I feel good, if I feel like I'm potentially helping somebody or if I'm just relaxing, giving myself the chance to relax, then that's all that matters to me. If I start to get stressed about it, then I just don't enjoy the process. And I'm sure other people have a different approach. But I think if it makes you happy, then you can call yourself a photographer for sure. I 100% I agree. I it, To... To limit the, you know, there are photographers that, you know, you hear them complaining, oh, everyone's a photographer now. And my response is, isn't that great? Isn't it fantastic that this democratic art form has become even more accessible to others? And yes, unfortunately for the old school, it's going to mean making a living is a little harder. Uh, there's going to be disruptors. There's going to be a change in business models. But there are people out there that can, with this incredible ability to capture light and time in these crazy little cameras that can express themselves in a way they might not have been able to otherwise that can go out and show you know tell their own stories and i think if we all photograph for different reasons but if what you want is simply to use the camera as a means of being more present in the moment being more alive and alert in this world and I think it's fantastic. And you've got to many people, I think the photography world is full of rules and we need to sort of, uh, well, we need to shed those rules a little bit and kind of everyone's going to do it for their own reasons. And that's going to determine how you do it. You know, what should I be shooting? What lens should I use? The world of photography is so filled with the word should that, uh, that I think it would do everyone a lot of good if we just kind of went, you know what, you do it your way. I'll do it my way. And let's stop with the nonsense of comparing ourselves and let's just celebrate each other rather than competing with each other. I think that would make us all <laughs> certainly, uh, you know, a little healthier mentally. I love that. That's such a wholesome answer. It's well, probably it would make our work better too, wouldn't it? I mean, if we were less worried, and this comes back to one of the questions you, you asked me about voice and the idea that it's not about being different from others, it's being it's being the most similar to yourself, you know, the most true to yourself. It's so easy to react to others and either try to be like them or try not to be like them because, you know, you want to be different. And those things are, they're so irrelevant to the idea of having a distinct voice. You, you don't find your voice by doing, by trying to be different from other people for the sake of being different. You find your voice just by, you know, you try something on and some of it doesn't fit. And you're like, yeah, that's not for me. I tried, you know, using strobes. I don't, that's not the look I want. And then finding your thing and going, oh, that just feels right. And then for the rest of as long as you want, just being okay with, I don't shoot with strobes. That's not what I do. Like personally, I've done it. I've done it. I know how to use strobes. I'm no Joe McNally, but I know how to use strobes. 
I just don't like it. <laughs> I don't like the process. I don't like the look. I, it's just not me. And I can say that without, and then, and then follow down that path of, okay, that's not what I do. Let's find out what I do and just feels at, like really me. That has nothing to do with, you know, Joe McNally or anyone else. It has to do with just finding my thing. And what a freedom to be able to just simply go, you know what, that's just not my thing. That's right. You're completely right. And the thing is, your bold decision to try something new and to discover yourself can inspire others to do something similar or might inspire them to try something like a new technique for themselves that might lead to a different discovery for them. So it's uh, it's all full circle, I think, especially if you stay true to yourself. Yeah, I, ho I hope so. Yeah, for sure. Earlier, you mentioned that you enjoy teaching and you have a company called Craft and Vision, which teaches mm -hmm. photographers how to take strong photos without shortcuts or platitude. I agree with your perspective that relying on shortcuts uh, all the time isn't really a good idea. If someone is an absolute beginner in photography and wants to strengthen their skills, where should they start? Start everywhere. You know, when, when you're first starting out, just play with everything. Play with every camera you can find. Figure out how it works, why it works. Play with slow shutter speeds, fast shutter speeds. Play with strobes. Play with anything that your curiosity leads you towards. You know, figure out, figure out how to do macro photography. Figure out uh, intentional camera movement. Just play with, unless it doesn't interest you, and then don't. But you know, follow your curiosity. You can learn from every genre every discipline within photography you know figure out black and white dive deep into what you can do in photoshop and lightroom these are your tools but uh, on top of that you need to study photographs you need to look at the photographs of the last hundred years the stuff that interests you the stuff you don't like and figure out why does this work why does it not work because ultimately photography is not about the camera it's about the photograph and yes, the camera does a, a chunk of that, but the camera's not going to be the one that makes the decisions for you. You are the one that will control the aesthetics of your image. So study composition, figure out what people respond to in an image. You know, do you understand? It's easy. The platitudes, you know, use leading lines. Well, okay, but why? Like, what are you talking about? Use leading lines. I mean, so many, so many photographers that quote, use leading lines, their lines don't lead anywhere. So that, that's not helping, you know, the rule of thirds. Well, I mean, yeah, but do we, is that the only way that we can compose our image? Is everything going to be so tidily on the thirds that they're all going to look the same? You know, where's, what about balance and tension and repeated elements and juxtapositions and contrasts and, you know, do you understand color? If you're a photographer that works in color, do you understand the difference between analogous color and complementary color? And do you understand what colors, you know, if you look at a color wheel, does it just confuse you? Or do you kind of get a sense of what colors work together and why? Now, this is a lifetime of study. This is not like your year one curriculum. But I just, I would encourage beginners to try everything, but also to get beyond the uh the camera and understand photographs so study if you're interested in street photography study the history of it look at the work of Henri Cartier-Bresson and Robert Doineau and you know if you're a landscape photographer study the greats in landscapes and and figure out what's been done wh why does that work or not work 
Um, you know, what do you like? What do you not like? These are bigger questions. And so, cause once you've figured out the camera, which will not take you that long, then you still have a world. I've been doing this now for over 35 years. I'm still learning new things because there's an infinite number of combinations of how you, how you can combine what your lens does with your own point of view and perspective in a scene, with your timing on a moment, with how long you allow that moment to exist on the sensor. There's so much that we can be experimenting with and you've got to play with it. And that takes time. So study composition, study the masters, figure out what you like and what you don't like. And, um, and then make some like, make a lot of photographs. Like that's, that's my big advice. Stop asking the friggin' internet for your, for opinions on your work, find one or two people whose work you respect and ask them, but, um, don't rely on the likes and the hearts and that sort of thing from other people who frankly may not be any more, uh, any further along in their craft than you are. Find some people that you respect to give you an opinion and, and, um, and have conversations with them. Cause that's, that's where a critique of work is most uh, helpful is when you have a conversation, when someone says, okay, before I tell you what I think of this photograph, you tell me, what were you trying to accomplish? And let's have a, let's have a conversation about your intent or vision for this image or this body of work. And then I'll tell you how I am responding to it and why, and we can kind of figure out a way forward. That is meaningful. Someone giving you a thumbs up on Insta is worse than, than meaningless because you will start to think, that everyone loves your work and it therefore must be good. Well, some people just give you a thumbs up because they want to say, Hey, I saw, I, I saw your work. Good effort, buddy. You know, <laughs> not, not helpful. And, and I'm not suggesting that your work isn't, isn't good. I'm just saying those metrics aren't the right metrics. That's like using a, a, a thermometer to measure the speed of your car. It's just the wrong instrument. So much wisdom. You said that you, even 30 years later, you there's something new that you learn every day. So what's the most recent thing that, that you've learned or discovered? Uh, well, I mean, here's a good example. Um, you know, I've been photographing safaris for years and uh, still feeling like I'm a beginner when it comes to wildlife stuff. And the last trip that I did, I sat down with my work and went, okay, why am I, you know, I got some stuff that I'm, that, that I'm proud of, but not as much as, you know, street photography, my humanitarian stuff. I really feel like there's, there's a, I don't know, a, a different, there's something internally in me that responds to those vibrant street scenes and the complexities that are possible in composition. It's just very different from wildlife. And, um, you know, especially cause wildlife is generally longer lenses and I like 16 to 35 millimeters. Uh, and nice close. Well, I'm not going to shoot lions at 16 millimeters, nice and close. So that requires a change of tools. It requires a change of, okay, how can I make, still make photographs that people will engage with? And, and I realized on the last trip that the thing that I'm not capturing, I'm not focusing on is interactions and relationships. And uh, so that was one thing. And okay, how can I do that? And I'm still working on it. How can I wait for moments that are not just a portrait of a lion? That's like, here's a lion. I want my images to say more than that. And so how can I do that? Um, but then the other thing was the reason I use a 16 millimeter lens or 16 to 35 up nice and close is because I want that immersive feeling. I want that visual depth in my photographs. 
I wasn't seeing that in my safari work. So sitting down and saying, okay, what could I do given the fact that I still need to be using generally 600 millimeters, 300 millimeters, you know, real long compressive lenses. And I realized that my big opportunity was finding scenes in which there was, there were foreground elements that I could place very out of focus that would give me a more interesting point of view that would create some visual depth, foreground and background. Um, and chasing those opportunities to find the depth that I love in my photographs, that those tools, just generally speaking, out of the, straight out of the box, kind of discourage. And so, it, you know, you go and you've got a couple of weeks or a month on Safari, you're working every day. You're not just, it just, you know, people say, oh, you couldn't make a bad picture of that. These animals are so beautiful. You couldn't make a bad, well, you, you want a bad? I got terabytes of bad photographs of, <laughs> of these incredibly beautiful animals in these incredibly beautiful places. And we need as photographers, and I'm always relearning the lesson that you can't be seduced by your subject. It's a beautiful subject does not a beautiful photograph make. I've seen some very, very poor photographs of some incredible subjects and vice versa. I've seen incredible uh, photographs of things you would never think of as beautiful or interesting. And they're, they're quite mundane, in fact. And yet the photographer has made choices that make you look at it in a new way and go, wow, look at that. And so it's not like it's a new lesson that just has come out of the blue. It's the kind of thing that I just keep having to relearn. And that's the challenge of it is you could learn all the, when I did, I only picked up underwater photography about four years ago, I think five years ago. That was the hardest thing I ever learned in photography. I thought, how tough can it be? I can swim. I know how to use a camera. And yet everything changed. Spatial relationships changed. The way you use lenses changed. The way you use light changed. The fact that all of a sudden I'm moving in three dimensions. I'm not just, you know, it's not just moving forward or back. I can move up. I can move down. I've, it was it was mind-blowing. And then on top of that, the camera is different because it's inside a housing. All the buttons are in new places. They're harder to push. You've got strobes. You've got, I, it was, it was unbelievably challenging. And yet it was the thing that I was just thriving on because as it turns out, that is what we thrive on is challenge, you know, is, is learning. That's where we find, you know, what sociologists call flow. And, um, that's so important to our creativity. So when I get discouraged, when I feel like I'm plateauing and we all do, we all sort of, we get to that, you know, we level up and we get to that next level. Well, it doesn't take long until that next level just becomes a plateau. And your creative groove becomes a rut. And the thing that you need to do is challenge yourself. Find a new challenge. Find a new, a new way to pull yourself into uncomfortable territory. If you can do that, you'll always be learning. You'll always have some new, uh, you know, new energy, creatively speaking. And that's where we find the things that keep us moving forward and not repeating ourselves. Creativity is about evolution. Uh, it's always about a refinement of what, frankly, often starts out kind of ugly. You know, your first images at a scene are often kind of your your worst images. But 300 frames later, after a couple hours, you've been working a scene. Now you understand the light a little better. Now you've, you know, you've considered some more possibilities for putting your camera in a different place, using a different lens, waiting for a better moment. These, these 
things are all part of the creative process. And so to go back to one of your questions, you know, what, what would you recommend in terms of starting out? Um, study creativity, figure out how your own creative process works, because that's the context in which all of this happens. It's not about adhering to rules. It's not about picking the right lens. You know, photographers, guys, you go on the, the online magazines and it's all about, you know, the best landscape lenses for 2022. 20, well, there is no such thing as a landscape lens. There's no such thing as a portrait lens. There are lenses that you can use for landscapes and portraits. But if we're all stuck with only making portraits at 85 millimeters and using shallow depth of field, um, portraiture is going to stall. It's already stalled if that's all it is. So how can you use that? 24 millimeter for for the kind of portraits you want to make how can you use different landscape lenses to create or different lenses to create different kinds of landscape photographs that kind of thinking is creative thinking it's not photographic thinking yeah and that's beautiful uh, i think it's it's very bold as well and goes back to what you said about being an individual and doing what feels right to you and actually i've never heard of that Nobody else has ever said to me, like, there are no portrait lenses, there are no landscape lenses. I've also fallen into the trap of thinking, like, trying to choose a portrait lens. And I remember feeling limited because I couldn't afford one. So I just worked with what I had, which was a 35 millimeter budget lens. Uh, and I know right. that yeah. they, they do use 35 millimeter lenses for their work, but I felt that it was not conventional, but I still used it. And I was like, well, I have this new discovery and it's actually quite good. So it's one of my favorite lenses and it cost me less than $60. <laughs> right. And yet, you know, and yet I was stupid enough, you know, years ago to believe the hype that, you know, well, if you're going to do portraits, you need, you need an 85 1.2. And so I went and bought a Canon 85 1.2. It weighed like, I don't know, a kilogram and a half or something. It was a beautiful lens, but it focused so slowly. And I, the only thing it did was it encouraged me to make photographs like everyone else, super shallow depth of field. Half the time, you know, most of the face was kind of out of focus, you know, just, and I was like, fine. It took me a long time to go, what am I doing? This is stupid. I traded it in. I got the cheapest 85 I could find. My pictures were suddenly in focus because in part, because I wasn't, I, I wasn't shooting at 1.2 anymore. Um, but also because my focus would actually, you know, when you're trying as a lens to move that much glass, it takes a long time. And I would miss the shot just because I couldn't focus quickly enough. I, I think falling prey to this idea, well, if I was a real photographer, if I was, a, you know, what are the pros using? Well, there's some wisdom in that, you know, but better asking why are the pros using that gear? And is that, does that like, is that what I really need? Because for years on my Fuji kit, I mean, I had a crappy, I mean, it was basically a 24 to 70, I can't remember, 18 to 55 millimeters on the Fuji system. It was the least sexy. It was a kit lens. It was cheap. And yet it was light. It did everything I needed it to do. And I felt like for a long time, I felt like an imposter because here I was carrying this small mirrorless gear where everyone else was using the pro size DSLRs. I had, I'd used those. I'd, I'd had all the, you know, the so-called best gear, but I downsized and started using the stuff that was a little bit more kind of just the essentials and a crappy kit lens turned out to be my favorite lens. You know, I, it, but we're not going to get to that point unless you have the confidence just to go, ah, you know what? Okay. So people see me on the streets of, of Jodhpur and, you know, think, well, he can't be much of a photographer. Look at the gear he's using. 
you want to impress other people, impress them with your photographs, not with your gear. Mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah. Embrace your individualism and then your results will, well, you don't need to prove anything to anyone, I suppose, but your results will reflect your inner creativity and, and they'll prove to people that it's not just about the equipment, as you said earlier. I think there's a huge, there's a milestone that we reach as a photographer when we stop trying to make photographs that are merely good, whatever that means to you, because that's going to mean different things to different people. And we pursue photographs that are not just good, but ours. When people can see that visual, they, they can see that fingerprint on the work and go, ah, that's, you know, that's Taya's work. That's David's work. And it's not, it's not a judgment. It's not, it's good. It's bad. That's a whole other conversation but it's distinctly, it's their own. And, and it's a process, right? It's, I'm not even sure I'm there yet, but I do know that people look at, uh, especially my black and white street work, my cultural work, my humanitarian stuff, and routinely say, you know, I, I saw your work and I just immediately knew it was yours. That mm -hmm. tells me I'm getting somewhere. It's not a conversation about whether it's good or bad. Again, that's a different thing, but, but it is so gratifying that people would look at it and go, I see your fingerprints all over what you make. And uh, that means something to me. Yeah, I'm sure that's very gratifying. In an interview with Deep Soul Photography, you said something that really stood out to me. And that was, for me, it's all about the creativity of it, making new things. Sometimes that's photographs and sometimes not. I like that you don't pressure yourself to take photos all the time. Uh, that's a whole different conversation. That's something that I've personally struggled with a lot, with labeling myself as a photographer and assuming that I have to take pictures all the time to prove myself to other people. Uh, what's something that you've been enjoying outside of photography lately? Well, for, for me, I wear two, well, I wear a number of different hats um, creatively. Uh, I love writing. I just, I really like writing to me. It's not, and I don't write, you know, fiction. I write nonfiction stuff. I write about the art and craft of photography. I, on a bigger scale, I think I write about life, uh, but I love writing like that for me is there's something so pure about that. I don't need anything except my laptop. And if I didn't have that, you know, a pen and a piece of paper, I can do it anywhere. And it's so different than photography for which I need, you know, to be for what I do. I need to be out in the world. And the it's a very different creative experience. And, you know, as you said, I was, I was a juggler, comedian, magician, whatever, for 12 years. I love doing that. My identity was wrapped up in that. And when I left it, it was very hard to recalibrate myself because I was like, I am a comedian. That's my identity. And suddenly I was not my, my stage name was the rubber chicken guy. And uh, suddenly I was not the rubber chicken guy. And that was it was almost paralyzing, Taya. I mean, I just and so I'm very careful not to make that mistake. Now, my identity is not wrapped up in the fact that I am a photographer. I'm a creative person who uses photography right now, but I also write and occasionally I pick up my guitar and, you know, my wife and I spent a lot of creative effort on renovating our home and making it the kind of home we want it to be. And, you know, interior design is as creative as photography. In fact, it's, it's very connected. We still use contrast, alignment, relationships of elements. It just happens to happen in three dimensions, but it's, it is a creative thing. And I think I'm as attracted to creativity just as an end as I am to the means to that end, the photography, the writing and that sort of thing. So I kind of, it has seasons. I don't photograph when I'm at home. I'm interested in other things. So I photograph 
hardcore when I'm in Venice or India or, you know, really anywhere else but home because home isn't, I'm creative differently here. And I'm not, I don't feel the need to document my life. It, that's not why I do it. So sitting down and saying, what am I really like? What's the end game here? The end game is just for me to be, you know, find meaning. Um, I almost said happy, but happy, I don't think is the point. I think finding meaning is the point, uh, at least for me. And so if that's writing, then I write. If I have the urge to pick up the camera, I pick up the camera. If I want to do something entirely different altogether, you know, maybe it's cooking. Cooking is creative. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. There's different ways to pursue creativity. And I'm sure, or I hope many of the listeners uh, can relate to you. I'm sure that a lot of people, including myself in the past, have felt as though they've wrapped themselves up in an identity, as you said earlier about yourself uh, when you were a comedian. And it's definitely a very paralyzing place to be in because we don't deserve that really as humans. We deserve to experience different aspects of life and we don't need to label, label ourselves necessarily um, to really enjoy every, every, everything that life has to offer. If it's playing the guitar, as you said, then so be it for a few months or for, for a few days. If it's photography for months at a time, that's also possible. And I think it's beautiful that we have this freedom to do that. We just need to be bold enough to embrace it. You know, I, absolutely. I think so. And I think for those that are listening that are much more, you know, purely about photography, I think that's fine, too. I, I think absolutely. But I want to encourage you, if that is the case, uh, then be more creative within your photography. And by creative, I, I'm not talking about innovative. I'm not talking about trying different things, but make more. We only experience your photographs in as much as we experience the medium that you put them into. So, yes, by all means, if Instagram's your thing, that's fine. But Instagram as, an, as a medium doesn't do, it doesn't do complexity very well. It, it favors, you know, graphic images that play well, really small. And, but where are the books? Where are the, the monographs? Where are the, the, you know, incredible slideshows if you're into that kind of thing? Um, I think photographers miss an opportunity, not just to make photographs, but make something with your photographs, put them into the world find uh, other means of creative output than just keeping it digital because i think digital is wonderful i love digital photography and i'm pretty sure i'm never going back to film or the dark room uh, both of which i loved at the time but could you within the digital experience could you create actual real world artifacts are you printing your work are you putting your work into books is there something that others can experience uh, rather than just um, your work on an iPhone or a screen. That, to me, is a profoundly creative expansion. It's an expansion of your creative efforts as a photographer. So if you're, if you're listening to this and thinking, yeah, that really resonates, but I really don't want to you know, get into ceramics or playing my guitar or cooking, you just want to, that's fine, but be more creative within your photography and make something, put something into the world more than just your Instagram feed. Yeah, and that you can find meaning, even if it seems a bit intimidating at first. You might find a whole new art form that can help you express yourself and find even deeper meaning. Absolutely. I have one more question for you, David, and that is, what is the one thing you'd like to achieve in this great big photography world? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um, well, actually, no, that's not true. I do. I've been thinking about this since, you know, you sent me this question ahead of time and thinking, what do I want to 
it's not as a photographer. I, I, I want to have impact in the photography world, but I don't think long term that my legacy will be my photographs. I think that my legacy will be, I hope, will be the impact I have through my teaching. Um, I so love this craft. I, I love everything that it represents, um, the possibilities creatively. I love the way that it, it makes people pay attention to their lives and to the moments around them and recognize beauty where they might not have otherwise seen it. But I think that my, I hope that my impact will be in my words and my encouragement to people to embrace the human side of things and consider, you know, it's, it's still all about craft, but consider what people are experiencing in the photograph and maybe get people to be more conscious of, of uh, their compositions and, there's just the human side of this, asking why do people experience a photograph the way they do and how can I use that information? Um, and I want to encourage photographers to be freer in, in their making because most photographers are, we're never, all of us together collectively, most of us are never going to be Henri Cartier-Bresson. We're never going to be Ansel Adams or Steve McCurry or Annie Leibovitz. It, it is a frankly, a very few people that will leave any kind of legacy in their images. Most of us are going to do it not for that, but because we just love it. And I want to be a voice that speaks to those people and says, great, now let's get on with the act of really doing it and maybe get away from some of the platitudes and the rules and some of the nonsense that comes to the photography industry, partly because it, the cogs of this industry run when we buy gear. Um, and so it focuses a lot on the gear and I would rather focus on the photographers themselves. And I think if, if you can, if you can enjoy your craft without going into debt over the newest, latest, greatest nonsense that the camera companies insist that you need to be, you know, I saw a camera ad the other day, I can't remember which, I think it might've been Nikon, but you know, it was touting, it was in an older magazine, but it was touting one of their cameras as the ultimate creative tool. And I think my impact in the photography world is uh, my, I hope my role is to be one of the voices that pushes back and says, no, no, you are the ultimate creative tool. Your camera, the whatever it is that you buy right now, it's just one in a string of stupid black boxes that you're going to use over the your whole photography career. It's not the ultimate creative tool. You are. And if that can be my impact, then that... I would that would be a legacy I would be proud of. David, thank you so much for loving photography and for loving creativity and for wanting to share that love with people in a way that helps them think differently about themselves and inspires them to try something new. I really appreciate what you're doing and I think you're doing an amazing thing and I believe that you will leave a beautiful legacy behind in any way, shape or form that you like. Thank you. Great Big Photography World wouldn't be what it is without our incredible listeners. We're grateful for the time you take to listen to other photographers' stories and share your feedback with us. If you'd like to help us keep this podcast running smoothly, you can become a member on our website. In return for your help, we'll provide you with all kinds of exciting perks. Go to greatbigphotographyworld.com. There's a link to it in the show notes. David is definitely funnier than he says he is. I hope that you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. David has a really lovely approach to community building 
I like the way that he manages his websites. I like that he has his own way of interacting with his followers. And he still is relevant even though he's not you know, on social media. And he is still inspiring other people. So no matter how we want to pursue photography, there's a way for you to do that. You just need to experiment with different things and also, importantly, find a supportive group of people who can help you along the way. If you want to join the conversation, leave some of your own comments related to this episode and get to know new people, then feel free to join our photographycourse.net community. There's a link in the description. Make sure to join us. Let us know that you're from this podcast. Share your thoughts on the episodes and we would love to start a new conversation with you and hopefully inspire you to try something new. See you next week. There's a simple reason why photographycourse.net is the highest rated photography community in the world. It's because the people who use it made it that way. Why not join us right now? Improve your skills, get exposure, and discover an exciting new world of photography. While you're at it, claim your special discount code by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% off your first year as a premium member.